0: Together. Thanks
1: for listening to the KC Morning Show.
0: Everything's running smoothly.
1: Yo, yo, yo! Yo! What is going on? My name's Hartzell, and this right here, it's your KC, Momo word Kansas City a happy Tuesday to the KC morning hoes. If you're looking for yesterday's show, uh, you, you can quit looking for it. It didn't happen. We had our last sporting KC game of the season at home on Sunday. And, uh, you know, your boy got a little wild. That voice was shocked, ladies and gentlemen. So on the show today, it's a Tuesday. You know what we do on a Tuesday. We reclaim that radical history of America. That's right, you, me, Professor Harvey J.K. of the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. We take back America this week. We got an assist by the radical words of the late, great Michael Harrington, who Professor K actually met and has a really great story about it. Rate, review, subscribe, do that thing you do! Kansas City. I love you so much. I have no idea what we're going to find out about the Pitch Awards. It's God's problem now. But hey, I feel good about it, y'all. Free time or not, we got the best got <laughs> podcast in the city. And in this city, it is a good day to be a Kansas City and absolutely good. my name's Hartson. Back in the feeds tomorrow. We'll see you in the moment. Bye.
0: If there's one thing that I found is as true as the sunrise, it's that I like being on there with Hotson. The KC
1: Morning Show. It's not. I'm going to Kansas City. Kansas. Kansas City, Nine. On January
0: eleventh, 1970, victory belonged to Hank Stram and his Kansas City Chiefs. TV9 News special report. Close up the flood of '77 from the Kemper Arena in Kansas City, Missouri. It's Milwaukee Bucks against the Kansas City Kings. Now Kansas Cityans must decide what happens next. What is to follow the city's Holy Week riot?
1: I am here at the American Royal World Series of Barbecue. Daryl Motley awaits, and the Kansas City Royals are world champions. Kansas City love. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Harvey. Brother, He is the Professor Emeritus at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. My brother, every Tuesday, you know what we do? We do it together. Not just you and me, but all of Kansas City and everyone, wherever their ears get podcast. They take back America, reclaiming that radical history, that progressive, revolutionary spirit. I think we do a pretty damn good job, my brother. What about you? You know,
0: I'd say we do a great job, except we have yet to fully take back America. So Let's say
1: we're doing a pretty good job. How's that? Okay.
0: Are we going to talk a little bit of football?
1: We got to talk a little bit. Pull back the curtain. We're pre-recording this a little bit early. When this gets
0: broadcast next Tuesday, I will have been at Lambeau on the Sunday when we play the Patriots, I believe it is. We're actually pretty optimistic about playing the Patriots that we should win. However, this is a strange football year. Teams are falling when they shouldn't be falling, as you know all too well. Mm -hmm. Teams are winning who shouldn't be winning. I watched one game on TV. Man, I wanted Detroit to beat the Vikings. Boy, and looked like they were going to do it. And then, as one of my former students, who is actually a Detroit Lions fan, put
1: it, no, if there's any chance to suck, the Lions will take it. <laughs> Set the scene for us, Professor K. What is a football game like at Lambeau? First of all, it's like a college town. The city is only 100,000 people. Lambeau is like this
0: giant stadium. There's nothing else that's scaled really, other than maybe some paper plants. No, not even paper plants. That's no, huge. And so there isn't enough parking at the stadium. So the neighborhoods around the stadium, people have their front yards available for people to park. The closer to the stadium, the more you pay. The further you move away from it, the less you pay. God, it wouldn't surprise me this weekend if the closest houses
1: to the stadium could charge maybe 30 bucks. Do you have any Lambo traditions that you'd like to do whenever you go to a Packers game?
0: Well, I have to tell people, I generally do not drink beer at a football game. A couple of reasons. One, because I have to drive afterward. But the other thing is, you ever try to go to the bathroom at a stadium? <laughs> <laughs> but I do get a brat. Maybe I'll drink a soda with it, something like that. And it's possible I would have a beer this coming weekend. My daughter and her husband are coming into town, so the four of us are going. My wife and I both have our birthdays over the next 10 days. 12 days so it's our birthday present to go to
1: the game do you eat brats i love brats i love all stadium food what do you Uh, put on your brats brats for me i do sauerkraut and mustard you're right Uh, lately i (laughs) nailed it sauerkraut maybe even mustard and ketchup i may just oh harvey k what's happening it's just fun man it's just (laughs) You know what also is fun, Professor K, hanging out with my buddy and taking back America. And this week, you brought some lines that I cannot wait for these folks to hear. And from a person who you actually got to meet. I did. We're going to hear some words, not just yet, from a book by Michael Harrington. Michael Harrington was
0: born in St. Louis. He's a fellow Missourian for you. Okay. Born in Missouri back in 1928. He had two major interests, left politics, social justice politics, And Catholicism, actually. But at a certain point in his life, he became active in Dorothy Day's Catholic Worker Movement, which was a very progressive Catholic movement, especially addressing the needs of the poor and working people in urban areas. But he became disillusioned with religion. He always had an interest in Catholic culture, but he became disillusioned with religion. And he joined the Socialists, Independent Socialist League. That was it. Later, however, he... More importantly, he became very active in organizing the DSOC, Democratic Socialist Organizing Committee. Harrington became convinced that the best path for socialists was literally to occupy the left wing of the Democratic Party and push the Democrats to the left. And Democratic Socialist Organizing Committee had that as its, if you like, its mission. And then, and this is now, I guess, in the course of the 70s, there were two groups that came together to create Democratic Socialists of America. It was the New American Movement and this DSOC, Democratic Socialist Organizing Committee. He was probably the leading figure in the creation of the Democratic Socialists of America. And I met him in the 80s at a DSA, I guess it was DSA convention, DSA conference. Harrington himself was a national figure. Because of his commitment to addressing the needs of the poor, he wrote an article for The New Yorker magazine on poverty in America, which he later turned into a book that became a bestseller titled The Other America. And it's still available in print. And if anyone's interested in reading it, they can probably find lots of used copies in new and used bookstores. It placed the question of poverty, along with some other things that came out around that time, on the public agenda in a whole new way. I mean, there was no doubt that America was growing ever richer in the course of the 50s. And in fact, poverty, to some extent, was in decline. But it was still a powerful force. And for too many millions of people, it was a struggle to survive economically. And I'm talking about Appalachia, West Virginia in particular, Kentucky as well, and urban areas of the major cities. I mean, the conditions for the poor were just atrocious, and they remain atrocious, but It was Harrington who, in many ways, placed this question of poverty in America, the other America, on the agenda, and his work is viewed as, in many ways, the instigation or the stimulus for Lyndon Johnson's great society, war on poverty. There was the civil rights bills that became acts. That was Johnson's response to the civil rights movement of Martin Luther King and SNCC and these other groups. He went beyond civil rights and embraced the idea of eliminating poverty in America, and thus we got the Great Society and War on Poverty initiatives. I don't think I'm exaggerating at all in saying that Harrington was viewed as the man who really placed it on the agenda. I have little doubt that he influenced those who went into the administration intent on combating poverty and pursuing the war on poverty. So Harrington was this really fascinating figure and a really, really nice guy when I met him. I mean, maybe other people had some different experiences, but I just remember meeting him and he was so welcoming to the convention. And he was so willing to talk about things with, you know, those of us who were delegates. I read a lot of his books over the years. He did a a number of books, both about America and about socialism. But I came across this one book, which I read some years ago, titled Fragments of the Century a social autobiography. So this is a weaving together of the politics and history of his day in the 40s, 50s, 60s, into the 70s. He has this one chapter titled We Happy Few, and he's talking about the radicalism that did exist in the 50s and what he was involved in in the 50s. And there's this one paragraph that I really think is worth pursuing, but also I want to make clear that there's a paragraph, a quote on the back of the book that you particularly liked, that I think we should also consider. And we haven't really decided how we'll divide it up. The key thing, and the reason I really introduced you to this man and his words, especially you see it on Twitter, in which people on the left feel this need to prove how seriously on the left they are by trashing the American story. Look, we got into this you and I as a project, Taking Back America, because of Josh Hawley, your U.S. senator's efforts to try to hijack the American story, just as Ronald Reagan successfully hijacked the American story and led people on the left, in many ways, to knee-jerk, trashing America. They hear the likes of Reagan or Josh Hawley talking up America, and they think that, therefore, they have to somehow talk down about America. And what they failed to realize is you're not going to persuade any of your fellow citizens to believe that it's worth being progressive and possibly social democratic and even socialist by trashing the thing that matters the most to them, the nation they live in. And in fact, it only ends up probably alienating people. Besides, as you and I know, it's just wrongheaded historically and politically. It ignores the struggles and the progress. It ignores the fact that there has been progress. Maybe it's often two steps forward, one step back, but there has been progress. We do have an independent democratic republic. We do have a nation that in war and the struggles of others brought an end to slavery. We do live in a nation which brought women into full citizenship in the United States. Although we know all these things are under siege again. But the point is, these struggles themselves, we need to honor and appreciate and realize that that is what the American promise is about, that the struggles are in pursuit to realize, one could say, the promise of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So Harrington was fully aware of the tendency on the part of the left, whether it's folks who are progressive, folks who call themselves radicals, folks who call themselves socialists, whatever it might be, to literally lambaste the nation. What's the word to denigrate the American story and the American experience? And in the midst of this book, he said something which I think we should take to heart. He says, It was as a socialist, and because I was a socialist, that I fell in love with America. In saying that, I'm not indulging in romantic nostalgia about youthful days on the road, but rather underlining a crucial political truth. If the left, wants to change this country because it hates it, then the people will never listen to the left and the people will be right. To be a socialist, to be a Marxist, is to make an act of faith, of love even, toward this land. It is to sense the seed beneath the snow, to see beneath the veneer of corruption and meanness and the commercialization of human relationships, men and women capable of controlling their own destinies. To be a radical, Michael Harrington says, is in the best and only decent sense of the word, patriotic. Remember, it's the promise we're pursuing and our patriotism is engendered and propelled by that
1: pursuit. So I, I love those words. Absolutely love those words. It takes to heart what we always say. To be a progressive is to be a patriot, but also the back end of that. To be a patriot is to be progressive. Right, right. If you're not progressive, you're not a patriot, no
0: matter what, well, let's just say the holy types might think. Shall I hop in with mine?
1: More words from Michael Harrington. I should be dejected, but I am not. There is a revolution that proceeds apace at this very moment, even if the president of the United States and the disillusioned intellectual refugees from the left do not recognize it. It is not that linear progression of confrontations and battles at the barricades, Dreamed by romantics in the 60s, which the newly sobered thinkers of the 70s now believe was a chimera. It is not a vogue, like long haired or rock music. It is transforming our psyches and spirits, and even the way our eyes see, as well as our politics and economics. Now, people unfortunately can't see the picture of Harrington, but I, I always
0: imagine him smiling. He's got this thick head of hair, powerful jaw, and a
1: smile. And that was the way I saw him when I met him. And that's the way I see him in all those pictures. One of my favorite lines from a certain professor from the University of Wisconsin, Green Bay. I think it's you, actually. Oh, it is you, Professor Harvey Kay. You always tell folks when we need to look for the promise of the freedom of it all.
0: Really, I've always thought that, but I really learned it from Frederick Douglass, who was taught by a sort of abolitionist politician that it's not the person who wrote it that should lead you to judge the value of the Declaration, or for that matter, the better aspects of the Constitution, but the promise that's embedded there. The promise transcends the pen that authored it. The promise is an articulation of Americans' finest aspirations put into words. And it's those aspirations that have inspired generation upon generation of, again, progressives and radicals and socialists and and others. And again, in very hard times right now, the future of the nation is at stake, future of American democratic life is at stake. And it's unfortunate that the Democratic Party leadership does not necessarily know how to effectively respond to the challenge. But it is the case that there are vast numbers of us around the country who recognize that the American promise is the means by which we can inspire those who would otherwise turn away from Democratic politics to return to democratic politics because it's only through democratic politics that we can realize life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And it's not that democratic politics in itself is the answer, it's that it's the means by which we realize, as Lincoln himself once said, the better angels of our nature. Here's what people should remember In Florida, who would have expected Republicans to win even as voters approved a $15 minimum wage for the state? In Kansas, people have been saying for years, what's the matter with Kansas? Capital P, populist politics of Kansas. When did Kansas become so reactionary, it seemed? And then there you go. Citizens of Kansas turned around and said, no, women's right to choose must be honored. We shouldn't underestimate our fellow citizens. We should definitely not overestimate our politicians, but we should not underestimate our fellow citizens. And we have to address their concerns,
1: their aspirations, just as the greatest voices in American history did. Professor Harvey K, my brother, we can now, as we get ready to head out of here, I'm going to pull out my copy of the British Marxist Historians. This bad boy is now live. It is out. What edition are we on now, Professor K? That's the third edition.
0: The first edition came out in late 84, winter 84, 85. The second edition came out with the foreword by Eric Hobsbawm, the great, one of the greatest historians of the 20th century and also a major public figure. Eric Hobsbawm wrote the foreword to it. He also happens to be one of the British Marxist historians. He lived till the age of 95 and we were in contact right up until his, his passing. And then a few years ago, the book was, it looked like it was on the verge of going out of print. And a publisher asked, would you be interested in seeing it stay in print? We'd like to see a new edition. So I wrote a first preface in 84, a second preface along with Hobsbawm's forward in 95, 96. And I've written an additional preface to this one where I recall some call them adventures with the British Marxist historians that I personally had. How's that?
1: That's fantastic. And I cannot wait to dig in and, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, a little teaser for these folks. Yeah, we're going to be digging in. Don't you worry. We're going to get into it. Yeah, we definitely will get to it. And then it'll be like an oral exam for Hartzell. Oh, I can't (laughs) wait. You know, I crush my exams, Professor Kay. My brother, where can these folks find you on the internet, the Twitter sphere? I'm only on Twitter, none of
0: the other social media. It's Harvey, H-A-R-V-E-Y, initial J, K-A-Y-E. I welcome all comers, especially Missourians, as I have family in Missouri. So happy to Happy to have more friends and family there.
1: Oh, you got family in KC. You're looking at them right here, my friend. You're my brother. You are, undeniably. You can get me at HeartSoul965. You can get this show, The KC Morning Show, at KC Morning Show on Twitter and Facebook and at The KC Morning Show on Instagram. My brother, I love you. Congratulations. I cannot wait to spend this time away since we're recording a little bit early. I'm going to have this thing done. Yo, I told you this. It's not even studying for me anymore. This is, this is me refueling. This is us energizing. This is us arming ourselves to some extent, you know. We're taking back America. You bet, absolutely.
0: I I can't say it better than that, right? We're taking back America. Mr. Hitler, Mr. Hitler, tell me what are you going to do? Declared war on Uncle Sammy. And here's
1: what he did say I can't figure out these goddamn snow They're
0: too damn hot for me Dig a hole, dig a hole in the meadow or Dig a hole in the cocoa cold, cold ground Dig a hole, dig a hole in the meadow